0: Society13
1: podcast network redefining podcasts society-13.com
0: i like to listen Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 146th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And on today's episode, we have a special guest joining us, listener Katie Dunlap. How are you doing, Katie? I'm fine. How are you guys? We're doing fabulous. And it was really interesting when you first suggested this location that we're going to be featuring today, which is the Low Hotel, You at first had said, I wish you guys would do somewhere in West Virginia. There's this thing called the battle. And is it is it Matawan or Matawan?
1: We've always pronounced it Matawan because a lot of the places around here are named from Indian places. Like I live in Kanawha County and I've heard it pronounced Kanawha, but we've always called it Kanawha. So (laughs) you might be right. I guess it just depends on, on how you're how you feel like pronouncing it.
2: And of course, we all know that our pronunciations are perfect. (laughs)
0: Just kidding. Well, since you guys say Mate One, that is what we'll say as well. So you had suggested this Battle of Mate One. And so I was looking it up and I'm like, well, there's really no hauntings involved with it. It's a really interesting point in history. So I was like, well, I wonder if there's something around the area that is haunted. So I just put in Haunted West Virginia and up comes this Low Hotel. And lo and behold, oh, look, there's a connection here between Sid Hatfield and the Low Motel supposedly he haunts it. And then I looked at the city and I went, wait a minute, this hotel is located in Point Pleasant. And I went, I man. know about that city.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Exactly, for that reason. And so on this show, you guys are going to get a whole bunch of information. It's a confluence of wonderfulness as far as we're concerned with history, hauntings, and legends. So you could not have suggested a better thing, Katie.
1: Oh uh, Well, thank you. I'm just excited to even be on the show with you guys. Keep you all in business with all these spooky podcasts.
0: <laughs> How long have you lived in West Virginia?
1: My whole life. Born and raised.
0: So you know it. For sure. Well, before we get into talking about the Haunted Low Hotel, the Battle of Matewan, and the Mothman legend, we'd like to point you in the direction of our website at HistoryGhostBump.com. Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that?
2: They can do that at HistoryGhostBump at gmail.com.
0: And we do have a couple of emails to share with everybody.
2: The first one is from Aaron Sarver. Hello, Diane and Denise. I am one of the many that learned of you from Bizarre States. And you have quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. You too are so adorable. And I can truly tell you enjoy giving the listeners a bit of spooky history. You help my work days fly by. And I've told so many work friends to listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you to the Spooktacular Crew research crew for all the work they do as well. We also heard from Kristen Sandell. I listened to your last podcast about the Whitney and its medical society past. In general, historically, medical societies were a place where physicians would gather to talk about the practice of medicine, advocate for patients and physicians, and to discuss issues that are important to physicians. They usually would not see patients in the society building. I was, am, a past president of the Berks County Medical Society, which was formed in 1824 and is the second oldest county society in the nation. I also sit on the board at the Pennsylvania Medical Society. Some of the old society buildings are incredible, as are the artifacts and paintings in them.
0: And we also got a comment over on the website underneath. Remember the cast that we did on the Posts in the Bible, Denise? Oh, yes. Renee had written, Ladies, I realize this is well over a year old now, but thank you so much for saying exactly what I felt for a while now, both in that many Christians are becoming experts at spewing hate, not exactly following what Jesus actually said, and that one-third of the Trinity is a spirit. Thanks for all you do. I love the podcast and I'm slowly making my way through it. I appreciate the thought and time you put into discussing the supernatural through a logical and historical lens. God bless you both. Well, thanks, Renee, so much for that. We also have a lot of thank yous to shout out to Instagram. Thanks to Meandra for your comments over there. Thanks to Chani as well for your comments and Joni. And there's a fabulous artist over there, Kimberly Sugar Art. If you guys like sugar skulls, this girl has lots of fabulous stuff. Plus, I saw some Disney stuff over on her Instagram, Denise. I know, some Jack Skellington. She has an Etsy shop. If you want to check it out, that's at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Kimberly Sugar Art. And she spells her name K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y. Want to thank Quintina for her comments on the website as well. She said we're like Halloween every day, Denise. Yay, we love Halloween. Yes, we do. And also want to let you guys know that the guys over at Entwine Podcast do this thing every other week on the off weeks of their podcast. They do an article on their website called Finger Food. And they asked me to contribute an article for their next Finger Food, which will be coming out on Labor Day that September 5th of 2016. And Denise, guess what topic they wanted me to write on? Ghosts. Oh, you're kidding me. Not ghosts. (laughs) Can you hear that? So on uh, next Monday, if you guys will head over to entwinedpodcast.com, it's underneath their news tab. My article will be up there. I'll also link it up all over the place and just leave a comment. I would love to hear your thoughts on what I had to write over there. We want to welcome to the spectacular crew, Colleen. Hey, Colleen. Quintina. Hey, Quintina. Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Tim. Hi, Tim. Amber. Hey, Amber. And Shannon. Hey, Shannon. All right, ladies, are you ready to go check out the Mothman and the Low Hotel? Yes, we are. And just so you all know, Katie gave us a bunch of pictures, so those will be in the show notes today as well. History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patron.com/slash History Goes Bump, or you can support us via PayPal. Click the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to this moment in oddity.
2: Scientists in Belgium have created a solar-powered machine with a unique ability. It can turn urine into drinkable water. The scientists conducted an experiment at a musical festival that lasted 10 days. In that 10 days, they managed to capture 1,000 liters of water from the urine of several party-goers. The urine is collected in a tank, where it is heated by solar power in a boiler. The liquid is run through a membrane that distills 95% of the ammonia from the urine and pulls out the potassium and nitrogen to use as fertilizer. They plan to use the former urine that is now water in the production of Belgian beer. So next time you order a Belgian beer, be careful! It might taste a bit odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started.
0: This Day in History On this day, September 1st in 1875, Edgar Rice Burroughs was born in Chicago. Burroughs was a failure at nearly everything he attempted. He flunked out of most schools, finally finishing at a reform school. He failed the entrance exam to get into West Point. He was sent off to Fort Grant in Arizona where he was told to catch Apaches, which he never managed to do. He tried being a cowboy and then a shopkeeper and then a gold miner and then finally an accountant. Nothing seemed to work for him. He wrote stories and drew cartoons to beat back the depression that was setting in from all of his failure. In desperation to make money for his growing family, he sent off one of his writings that was really only half a novel. The editor liked it and asked for the rest. That story was Under the Moon of Mars, and it is considered the turning point of 20th century science fiction. Then came Tarzan of the Apes, and as they say, the rest is history.
1: You're listening to History Goes
2: Bump. At the corner of 4th and Main in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, stands the historic Lowe Hotel. This hotel dates back to the early 1900s when it was built by two brothers. The hotel was needed to serve the heavy traffic and trade from the nearby Ohio and Kanawha Rivers. Across the street from this grand structure is a peculiar statue, rather ugly. It features a creature known as the Mothman. Point Pleasant is home to the legend of the Mothman. There are legends about the hotel as well, including many rumored hauntings, one of which might be a member of the Hatfield family who was involved in the Battle of Matewan. Join us and our listener, Katie Dunlap, as we explore the history and hauntings of the Low Hotel and explore the legend of the Mothman.
0: Well, Point Pleasant is located at the confluence of both the Ohio and I would have said Kanawha River, but you said Canal. Kanawha?
1: Yeah, but either way, both ways, I guess, correct. But where I've lived here and we have our, our Twangy dialect, it's Canal. It's just easy. It rolls off the tongue.
0: Canal River. OK, well, we'll say it that way. There was this French explorer that had set up. Basically, France was trying to move into the area and they wanted to make this part of New France Of course, we all know that the British were here as well and they were in fights with the French over who was going to get what land. And so France really wanted this area and wanted to get a foothold in here But the Native Americans there were already in league with the British. They didn't really want the French to be there. And that's why we ended up having the French and Indian War. And part of it took place in this area. And then they had a war there that was actually called the Battle of Point Pleasant. And I'm not exactly sure where they got the name Point Pleasant. There was Colonel Andrew Lewis had established Fort Blair there in 1774. And I don't know if he just liked the name or if he thought that the point here was pleasant. I'm not sure.
1: that's what I had read. I want to say that's because when I, in, in West Virginia, every eighth grader has to go through West Virginia studies. I don't know if it's still a thing now, but when I was going through eighth grade, we had to. And I do want, I do remember it like it was, the uh, like guy liked it so much. It was a pleasant point where the two rivers met. And that's why he, it was named Point Pleasant. Great. Right? Okay. Well, it's
2: a, a good name. It's kind of funny, Diane, as you were going through, it's like in the British and the French were fighting over this area. And I'm glad that the natives came into it because it's like, we're fighting over who gets the land. I'm like, well, neither one of you get
0: it. (laughs) It belongs to the people that were already here. But uh, side note. So that stuck. And then I guess Fort Randolph was built there after Fort Blair went away. And the settlement received its official charter in 1794. Then the city was finally incorporated in 1833. So this city has been there for quite a while.
1: Yeah. And I'd say probably even a little bit before, considering how everybody did trade and travel along the rivers
0: there was a bridge that they built over
1: yeah it was over the ohio river it was it went you could drive from point pleasant straight into gallipolis ohio
0: okay so basically it connected west virginia to ohio it was built in 1927 and at the time it was quote a shining example of man's engineering ingenuity but apparently they didn't build it very well.
1: No, it was a suspension bridge. And it where it collapsed in sixty seven it had like the two towers that had that the, the road went over. And then of course it was suspended by huge cables along the top of it. To connect the cables they used eyeballs. And you'll like this Denise. It was the thirteenth eyebolt that snapped. And that was on this it was on the Ohio side and it snapped and the cables came down and then it wasn't too long after the entire bridge just collapsed, just came down. And there were 70 cars on the bridge at the time, because this happened around like five o'clock rush hour time. And people were going across into Point Pleasant and in Ohio. And I had uh, talked to one gentleman. He runs the River Museum up there in Point Pleasant. And he remembers it when it happened. And he had said that there was a like a, basketball game or something going on so i guess there was a lot of people traveling over there to go to the game or to you know, getting off work or going home you know fix dinner or going to the store and he said there was about 70 cars on the bridge when it collapsed and and i've read different descriptions on it like it was anywhere from 39 people to 46 people had were killed mm-hmm. when it came down and so i'm not quite sure but somewhere in between that it was and it was devastating for the town it was very very devastating for the town
2: Oh, I can bet. I can't imagine, you know, you just have and it's close to Christmas because this happened in December. And so, you know, you're planning on celebrating holidays and having fun. And then all of a sudden this huge disaster and tragedy happens like right on the eve of of the
0: Christmas holidays.
1: Yeah. And you probably got family in. So you probably got family members you haven't seen in a while.
0: and Well, and it had been there for 40 years. So you think, oh, it's secure.
1: Yeah, well, even people I've read accounts people say like the bridge would shake real bad. Well, I mean, I get any bridge does. It has to have a little give, but he, they said it would shake like it would be scary how bad it would shake. And a lot of people would refuse to like to go over it because of that.
0: Well, it probably is some kind of faulty building mechanics or something that caused that to happen. But when you have these things happen and you have some superstitions in the area, people tend to blame other things than just what probably is what more than likely happened. Yeah, And because the Mothman had been seen right before this time period, a lot of people blamed it on him. And there also is some stories about curses in the area as well. So, yeah,
1: I'd heard that, too. Like, Chief Cornstalk had cursed the area and, like, cursed it for, like, 200 years or something. I think that's what I read. What had happened is he
0: had gone up to the fort and he was trying to... This is back during the Revolutionary War. And he was trying to keep the peace... Britain had been in league with a lot of the native tribes that were in the area and getting them on their side. What happened is Chief Cornstalk went up to what was then Fort Randolph and he was talking to Captain Arbuckle, who was in charge there, and he let him know the British are mobilizing all of these native tribes and you guys need to know that this is happening right now. I'm holding out, but there's a lot of pressure and we more than likely going to join forces with them. And the minute Captain Arbuckle heard that, he took him hostage and said, well, if you are going to bring your people against us, then we're going to arrest you, basically. And they treated him really well. They arrested a few other uh, leaders that had come with him, and they were feeding him and everything. But one day there were two soldiers that went outside of the fort to go hunting and apparently they were ambushed. One of them was killed. And when the body was brought back into the fort, the soldiers were just outraged. And so since they had some Native Americans that were right there in their prison, they said this is who we're going to take it out on. And they broke into where they were keeping them and they killed all of them. And I believe Chief Cornstalk was shot something like eight times. Yeah, it
1: was really brutal it was a real brutal murder i think you are right i I didn't really i kind of struggled to find a lot on him oddly enough but yeah i think you are correct i think it's about eight or nine times it was real brutal from what
0: I've read. And basically his curse was along the lines of, I never did anything to you guys. I never warred with you. We just want to protect our people here. We want to protect our land. We want to protect our homes. I didn't want to join with anybody. I didn't want to join with Redcoats. I didn't want to join with you. This is what you've done to me. And because you've done this to me, and I think his son was there as well. He said, may the curse of the great spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. May the strength of its peoples be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. I don't think I'd want that on my city. Um,
2: and it appears that that curse actually may have very well come true.
0: Well, what's interesting is... The town of Point Pleasant really struggled for many years to get a footing. There was a historian who was writing about it at the time, and normally a historian writing back in 1808, you wouldn't think that they would buy into necessarily these curses, but he actually wrote, Point Pleasant did not flourish for many years after the turn of the century. There was no church for more than 50 years, and society was at a low ebb. There was a popular superstition that because of the fiendish murder of Cornstalk there in 1777, the place was laid under a curse for a hundred years. And you obviously heard 200
1: yeah i've read 200. but i've also read that he never made he never made a statement he never made a curse so
0: i mean he's been shot eight times i'm thinking he probably didn't have time to say much
1: yeah that's, that's how i feel
0: So maybe it could be that this curse was on the land and this is why we had a problem with a bridge or did it have something to do with the Mothman being seen there? One of the things I wanted to ask you, because I couldn't get a feel for the lay of the land. I read in a CNN article that the Mothman Museum was actually in the Low Hotel and I was like, I haven't seen that anywhere. I think it's across the street. So I was going to verify with you, where is the Mothman Museum?
1: It is across the street. Okay. But when you first walk up to the low hotel, it, you've got where the door where you walk in. But down the ways on the sidewalk, there's three buildings, and they're built like the low hotel is over top of those three. Like they're built into the the building itself, and you can go into them. There used to be a diner right there. I guess it's shut down or they've moved. It's now the Galleria and there's two buildings for that. And then the very last building is the world's, they claim to be the world's only U.S. Navy poster museum. And it's the very last building. And you can go in there. We went in there. We could pay for a little tour and you can go in and see all the different posters from like the Spanish American War. They had a few and wow. World War One and World War Two and Vietnam and it was really neat. And they had a section for like the Pinup Girls. Oh, from neat. The, yeah, it was really neat. It was really neat. And the lady at the, the poster museum did tell us that they used to be the, that it used to be the Mothman museum because she had like a little Mothman bust that she put in a little Navy outfit and he sits right there when you first walk in. <laughs> okay.
0: Well that clears it up then. Cause I'm like, how could CNN get that so wrong that it's actually in the hotel? So that makes sense. It's in a storefront that was underneath the hotel. Yeah. Obviously they have the statue outside of it. Did you take any pictures?
1: I did. I meant to send it to you. Me and my boyfriend took a picture in front of it. Growing up, you can hear several different things as to how he came to be, quote unquote, because there was a TNT factory that operated from 1942 to 1945, and it's out, it's out towards the fairgrounds. Like you drive outside of Point Pleasant, like outside of town, and you drive a little ways, and then you come to the Swervey intersection there's a big sign that tells you to the right in the Mason County Fairground. And that's where the T&T plants were. There were two of them. There was a North Plant and a South Plant. They've torn them down since then. Because I spoke to the curator curator of the Mothman Museum and uh, Jeff Walmsley. And he's He was born and raised in Point Pleasant, and he remembers there were people getting hurt. There were people running up there, you know, kids partying and drinking, and they would get up there, and one guy, I guess, was smoking something crazy, and he thought he could fly like the Mothman, and he left off the building, and I don't know if he died or if he was just really hurt, but not long after that, Jeff said they tore him down, and there's also these, uh, on the other side, you go to that intersection where you turn right to go towards the fairgrounds, towards the TMT plants. You can keep on going straight. And there's a uh, Christmas tree farm that's not too far down the road on your right. And you make a a right right there and you'll turn in between like a big cornfield and the the Christmas tree farm. And if you drive out that way, you'll pass these, I believe there's seven roads and some of them are gated off and they're private property and then there's some that look like the guard railing like on the side of the interstates and those are the ones that aren't private property you can walk you can climb over those and go back through there and there's these igloos that were used to store munitions and TNT and chemicals and other various materials that the TNT plant used. And they're covered with dirt and grass and trees. So I guess back back during World War II, if enemies flew overhead, they couldn't see what they were and destroy them. And that's supposedly where the Mothman hangs out the most. Like I've heard that it was a homeless man that got into some toxic material that was before before the TNT plants were torn down. Mm -hmm. I've heard that it was a crane a sandhill crane that got into the toxic material i've heard that it's just a sandhill crane that i guess broke its migration path and it was stuck there for however long and i just read earlier that people think that he is an alien because ufos were supposedly spotted in point pleasant around that time
0: yeah, that was something I noticed when I was reading a lot of the accounts. It seemed like he went hand in hand with strange lights in the sky, UFO sightings. So
1: yeah, and does... the Men in Black, and the Men in Black. Yes, that came you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because <laughs> I bought Jeff Wamsley's, He has like two. I believe he published two Mothman books, and I bought one. And he interviews a lot of the people. He interviews the first young, the first two young couples that spotted the Mothman, in like '66 of uh, uh, Linda and Roger Scarberry, and I, I can't remember the other couple's name. But uh, and he interviews other. Uh, one woman had they were having a cookout in their backyard one summer and she said that a cigar shaped craft had flown low over the house she said it would like you could reach up and touch it she said it didn't make any noise at all. She said and it freaked the kids out. And the kids called 911. And there's been strange lights that are supposedly seen over the where the TNT factories used to be. Strange lights out where the igloos are. We walked out where the igloos are. And there's a huge pond. that. Well, there's several ponds because it's like 3,500 acres uh-huh. of land that they use just for the TNT factories plants and where these igloos are there's ponds i guess everywhere that's where they dumped a lot of the toxic material a lot of the because it's been declared a pa natural disaster something it's small town america you know what i mean if you went to church on sundays there was nothing anything out of the ordinary or anything that was odd a lot of people just immediately shut down and dismissed so I tend to lean towards there's something because, like I said, this is a small town America. There. There's only like four thousand, five thousand people live in Point Pleasant, something like that. It's it's a little tiny town. I uh, I tend to believe they they saw something. It might not be what they what everybody thinks it is, but there's there was something weird. You did admit to that freely that you saw this huge winged creature. You know, like you would have been considered weird or odd or something's not right about that guy. You know what I mean? You're absolutely
0: right. First of all, this is not a time period where you would admit to seeing this kind of stuff. And it was a lot of reports and it was bad enough that they were calling the police to come.
1: Yeah. Police there's a picture in this book of police like scrambling to do this impromptu press conference to like settle people down and like you know, we're gonna get to the bottom of it kind of thing. Yeah, I believe mean, it's there's something or there was something. Supposedly, he hasn't been spotted since then. But I've also read that before Chernobyl happened, he was spotted before um, there was like an earthquake in Mexico City in like 87 or 86, 88. And supposedly he was spotted there. Supposedly, he was spotted in Western Pennsylvania before 9-11. Yeah, so he's so,
0: basically an omen that is foretelling of some kind of disaster, it would seem. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is these sightings of the Mothman began, as you said, back in 1966, and it started with a group of five men that were in a cemetery who were digging a grave, basically, and they saw this thing come out of these cluster of trees that they described like a giant bird because it had these huge wings, only it was humanoid in shape. And the statue that they have there of the Mothman, I think, is supposed to depict kind of what it looks like. It it looks like a man that has wings, but only a beak kind of face, which makes sense when you find out that kind of said, well, maybe it was owls or it was, as you had said, sandhill a sandhill crane that they were seeing. I'm like, you can't really mix up a human with a sandhill crane. I could understand maybe at night because we have lots right. of sandhill cranes around here. When you hear them, they have a very haunting call for anybody who's heard them. We kind of liken it to a raptor. Yeah, a, a velociraptor. velociraptor. They, oh it's God, just a- that
1: is scary. I hate to hear that when you're outside the, at night. Yeah, and you well, don't know what's around you and yeah. you hear that thing.
2: Yeah, because they'll be flying over and all of a sudden it is. It's like this... And it it's sounds two like or a three. raptor, yeah, and they're all like making
0: this little noise,
2: and you're like, what in the heck is that?
0: They are very tall, they can look you right in the eye, they do have red eyes, and they can be very aggressive towards you. So if we see them walking down the street, especially if they've got young ones with them, we will cross the street or try to stay away from them, because they can, and you'll drive a car, and they'll just look at the car like, bring it, they yeah. won't get out <laughs> oh of the road.
2: God. They'll just stand there and look at you like, whatever.
0: So I could see people maybe at night could mistake a sandhill crane for this. Again, like you said, this was a place that had chemical spills. I was going to ask if you and your boyfriend are glowing now
1: that you were out there. <laughs> no, but I did, I did get a slight headache. Joe, my boyfriend, wanted to go during the day. I was like, no, let's wait. Let's go at night. You know, that'll add to it. Like, it'll be that much creepier. I was the first one. I was like, well, you know, we've been out here a while. Let's get back to the car. <laughs> I was walking back down the road. It freaked me out being out there. Because I've also heard um, my boyfriend bought. I don't know if you came across the name John Keel when you were doing any research for this, but he wrote the Mothman Prophecies book that eventually became the movie. And he spent a lot of time in West Virginia, up in Point Pleasant, interviewing and that kind of thing. He wrote in his book that. they're supposed to shadow people that hang out around the igloos. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to go kind of at night. I was like, I want
2: to see if we could see some shadow people. Are you crazy? I know, I was about to say, geez. Because one, we're glad that the trip was not a glowing success, (laughs) pun intended. Um, But the, the other thing is shadow people freak me out. And you were actually actively trying to find some?
1: Yeah, like, that's what I, that's what I told him, because we brought, my it was, there was three of us, my boyfriend bought, brought his friend Charlie, because he was like, what, well, I want to hunt, y'all hunt them off, man, I want to go. Some of the igloos had overgrown, like, the entrances had overgrown, and I'm I'm tall, I'm six foot, my boyfriend's six foot three, like, I'm not, a, and it was dark, and I wasn't about to, like, bend down and try to walk through spider webs. Lord knows what else, Mm -hmm. just to get some of these igloos. And they left me standing out there by myself. And all I had was this little cheap flashlight that we picked up at the Dollar General. And it didn't even have a strong beam. I was like, well, I'll just use it as a weapon if this mothman (laughs) decides to come up on me. (laughs) But we didn't, I didn't see, I felt weird being out there at night. But I didn't see anything.
0: Well, you know what's interesting is these sightings continued for like a year. And there was a woman who said that she was getting out of her car and getting her little girl out of the car. And all of a sudden this mothman creature stood up right next to the car like he'd been laying on the ground. And she actually dropped her baby. She picked her up, ran for the house that she was visiting. And the mothman came up to the porch and was peering through the windows. They were terrified, called the police. So this is broad daylight. It's not something that people would be making up. And then there were other people who reported the same things, same time period but it all seemed to stop right before the bridge collapse and like you said there really hasn't been anybody talking about it since but it makes me wonder especially with you talking about just having that kind of creepy feeling there's so much energy that has been poured into this mothman legend and so many people go out there looking for it we've talked about tulpas on this show before it right. makes you wonder if they haven't created some kind of energy about it.
1: Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense because he, he hasn't been spotted. But people go out there in hopes that they do see him. And even the Mothman Museum, they do tours and they'll take you out there. And in 2010, there was one that they were still storing uh, live TNT in and ammunition. It just blew up, just boom. Blew uh, like blew the whole lid off the thing. And I don't know if they ever came up with a reason as to why. But I mean, I know TNT is an unstable. It's an unstable material. You have to be careful with it. But it kind of makes me wonder. Like, well, that's weird. There, like, it was it been stored there for sixty some years, and all of a sudden it just finally exploded. Like, that's weird to me.
2: That is very so weird.
1: There has to be. I think you're right. I think that they. So they the, there's been energy created, and it's turned into that. Mary Hire. She worked. I want to say she worked. She was a Point pleasant correspondent for the Messenger, and she writes about being harassed by the men in black. Then showed up, wanting to know why she's reporting what she's reporting, and telling her that she didn't see anything. And the men in black would show up to other people's houses, like the other uh, witnesses, and say, You know, You're, that's not what you saw. I need you to quit talking about that. And they would say that the men in black, they wear black suits and black shoes black hats and sunglasses and they drove like a late model Chevrolet or Ford like 1950s 1940s style Chevrolet or Ford and they had all they were all complected and they were very weird they didn't smile they didn't make any kind of facial expressions whatsoever.
0: Yeah I think I read one of the stories that she had shared the first time one of them came in to talk to her, and he was like a short guy with weird hair, and he like looked at a pen or something like he'd never seen a pen in his life before. Yeah, yeah. she said it was just he yeah. was really bizarre. Yeah, uh,
1: maybe it's like the, the towns on waylay Waylands, Is that what they're
0: called? The ley lines. Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: maybe that. Because the whole town, like, it's it's a pretty town. Like, it's very picturesque, like, small town. Me and Joe were talking. It's like, I wouldn't mind living here. This is a really nice little town.
2: Yeah, because I think you already have that in the small, especially southern. My mom's from Tennessee grew up in Tennessee. So some of those small southern towns, there's almost like a you're definitely or even even up to Maine, the little towns, they know strangers. And so there's kind of a weird energy when you're not a part of that already. And then you add something like the Mothman and some of the other things that's happened in Point Pleasant. And I'm sure there's kind of like a an energy or an oppression there that would be very palatable, I think, to feel.
0: This is a great year for people to go visit for the Mothman Festival because it's the 50th anniversary of the first sighting. So I'm sure they're going to make a big deal out of that. Well, you mentioned this Low Hotel, which is across the street from the Mothman Museum. It's a historic hotel, and it basically is really, is it the only hotel in town?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, you can cross the bridge and go over into Dallas and stay over there, but you won't get the same kind of thing at the Low Hotel. Because Mr. Finley told me that he's like, I don't want you to walk in. And it's like a Super a, you or know, it's like a day ten, where all the rooms are the same. Because every room, he says, is different. It's got different type of furniture in it, different paintings. It's laid out differently. And it's reasonably priced. I was really surprised because we were afraid it would kind of be expensive, especially for us just to stay one night. Mm-hmm. But Mrs. Finley, she was very kind. And she charged us. We were, we're originally just going to get one room with two double beds in it but she said it was kind of small. So she charged us for the one room, but put us in a suite and she didn't charge us the suite price.
2: Oh, wow. So, That's yeah, neat. I thought, that was, I thought was pretty
1: cool. ever. It's $99 for a room with double beds in it. And I think a single room or one with a single bed is
0: $89. Now we're from down around the Disney property. That's not even close to expensive, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially for a suite. Well, you know, what's really cool listening to you talk, you're talking about it's Ruth and Rush Finley, right? yes they bought the hotel back in 1990 and most times when you're looking at a history of a hotel you get to the current owner and that's like it you don't really get to hear much about them so the fact that you're actually talking about them and saying that you talk to them that's really neat it is I got, super I cool. a little bit of their history if you'd like i
1: made sure to ask him because i was like you know you hear about all the past owners i was like and since you guys are the current owners i'd like to know a little bit about you
0: Why don't we wind back to the very beginning, and then when we get up to where they're at, then we'll talk about their history.
1: Uh, It was built in 1901, and the contractor's bid for it was only sixty-five thousand dollars, and it took another ten thousand to refurbish the place. It's built out of Cleveland sandstone and red brick that was made locally. The marble was imported from Italy, and the stained glass in the hotel is Tiffany, which I think is pretty cool.
0: I was unaware that they had Tiffany glass in that hotel. How oh. cool. Yeah. yeah I, I, I love was, Tiffany. Well, glass. You
1: see it and I'm like, well, that's really pretty. And then he tells me he's like, it, it's actually Tiffany. And I was like, oh, wow, that's probably worth a pretty penny nowadays. Oh, my considering gosh. It's 115 years old.
0: Well, and keep in mind, this is Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and you're talking about granite from Italy and Tiffany glass windows. That's pretty amazing for a small town yeah. hotel. Yes. Yeah.
1: It was built, I read that it was built by the Smiths and it was named after a local judge, Spencer J.H. Spencer, I believe was his name. Mr. Uh, Finley told me that it was built by the, Smiths. it was the judge's family that built it.
0: I think what I had seen, and you probably saw this too, is that the Smith brothers, this was Homer and Griff, I love those names. <laughs> yeah what they needed is financial backing so they wanted to build a hotel but they needed somebody to help financially back it so i think the spencers paid for it basically and then they yeah. designed it and built it is kind of how and it worked. named it after
1: him i guess yes. was a way to thank him
0: makes sense if if he helps to pay for it plus the smith hotel doesn't sound as cool as the spencer hotel right
1: so that's kind of boring kind of vanilla yeah. the
0: john smith hotel no i'm kidding <laughs> Did he tell you what rooms and everything it had? Unlike the first the, floor and in stuff in the lobby
1: of it, yeah, like the, it was like a bank, I believe, a liquor store, a barber shop, a woman, a ladies reception room. This was all on the main floor.
0: How tall is the hotel?
1: It's four floors, and the uh, the fourth floor is a ballroom, dance, a banquet area. But he, I couldn't go up there. He, I could have, but he told me he didn't want me to go up there because. It was used for storage and he didn't want anything to follow me or anything like that and i get hurt i uh,
0: read that too that it was used for storage and i went oh man they have a ballroom up there and that's all they're using it for
1: is yeah, the the really
0: store junk 100%. it's kind of like their attic i guess
1: yeah which i kind of upset me to see or to hear because i was like well i mean i imagine probably the the tile that's in the banquet hall on the second floor is hand laid mm. And it's these little tiny chiclet-looking tiles. So I can only imagine what that dance floor and bar would look like. Sure. How, like how cool that would be. When it was opened, it opened in 1905. It took four years to build. Apparently, when it was first operated, or when it was first, the first few years that it was opened, I guess it was like a you know a waiting period to make sure that it was going to do well. And from 1924 to 1929, before they sold it, it was just strictly for profit. They own several different. They had their hands in very different different honey And when the stock market crashed, someone that sold it, he sold it to Homer Lowe. They renamed it obviously to the Low Hotel, and it's always remained open since it opened in 1905.
0: You know, and, I find it interesting that the Low family, who buys it in 1929, his first name was Homer too.
1: Yeah, and his son Homer Junior. So Lots a lot of, of homers. homers. <laughs> so they better play the lottery.
0: It's something about the Homer name. Look out, everybody. Can I ask a quick question because I had read uh, in one place and maybe Mr. Finley didn't share this with you, but supposedly there was some illegal gambling and prostitution that had gone on before the Lowe family took over.
1: He did mention that to me. Okay. Uh, They gambled and they had ladies of the, that's what he said, ladies of the night come in and when the Lowe's bought it, they shut that down. They said that is not happening in our hotel anymore. And they opened it up, oh, they opened up I guess what was the bank and the barber shop. They turned it into like civil rooms for churches to come and, and do, I guess, projects and have meetings and things like that inside the hotel. So yes, yeah, they, so they shut all down all the fun. They, so they took so all the fun shut that all down.
2: They brought the church people in to exercise the demons
0: of gambling and prostitution gambling and prostitution. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sins of the flesh, no more in this hotel it was uh it, it had 64 original rooms the, not every room had running water the the hotel had always had electricity and water but every room there was communal bathrooms down each hallway and each room had a sink okay and i, I want to say what the i think it was the finley's they said that they made a lot of rooms suites they took rooms that didn't have bathrooms and tore down the wall next to the room that had bathrooms and they put a doorway in so that way you could have like you have like, a living area and then your back your bedroom and then the bathroom and what was weird about the bathroom is when we first walked in there was a sink immediately to our right at, in the door just inside the door mm. and then so you walked into the living room a little ways and then the the toilet and the, the shower were in like literally the size of the closet <laughs> and unfortunately it, you couldn't keep the door shut because it would be so hot uh-huh. so we all had to like take turns staying away from the bathroom door so we could Shower and go to the bathroom with the door open. It would be cycling in there. Oh wow! And each room had window units in the windows, mm-hmm. and the window unit was in our bedroom. It was in the bedroom. We had a fan that would you know kind of circulate there and keep it cool. Yeah, but- one
0: of the complaints that I saw all over TripAdvisor, and of course, sometimes people forget you're in a historic hotel, <laughs> which is why things would be a little different. But there were people who complained that it was just a cooling unit in the window, so it was really hot and the furnace or it would be really cold because the radiator wasn't working properly and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's an old hotel and they tried to keep <laughs> it in that kind of fashion. That always yeah, makes he, me laugh. It's like, OK, we're going to go into
2: nature and then we're going to get upset that there's bugs there, you know, as we're going to go into a historical building and be upset that it doesn't have mon- modern conveniences. Yeah, exactly. They
1: had Wafa and they told us the Wafa password. She said, you might not be able to get it on the third floor. That's where we were. And she was right. We lost it as soon as we would go up the steps. But because a lot of the Mr. Finley told me that the walls are two foot are two feet thick. Mm. So I can only imagine how thick flooring, you know, how each the levels are, how thick that is. It has 30 guest rooms now. So I'm going to assume that's I, a few of them, I noticed they were in the middle of redoing because there was one room down the hall from us that was just it had furniture in it. It was like caught up with furniture. Okay. So I'm gonna assume that there's at least 30 guest rooms that you can rent and stay in. The cool thing about it is the skeleton keys, and each key is for like it has that one key is for that one door. You can't use that to get into any other any other guest rooms.
0: Imagine that a hotel with actual hotel keys. That is so cool.
1: Yeah, like it was. I was blown away by it when she handed it to me, and I was like,
0: a key? Oh my
1: God, this room. The only thing is, is it was like, she told her she goes if you lose that it's a hundred dollars she's like that's the only key to that room so guard it with your life yeah. and she designated me the key keeper i was <laughs> like well i'm the best person for it that attached it to my car keys mr lowe senior unfortunately had a stroke and he was in his 50s so his son Homer jr took over and I, Rush and Ruth finley had i guess had stayed there and his wife fell in love with it and wanted to buy the hotel and mr mm-hmm. finley originally didn't want to and uh, they negotiated for about two years with, I guess, with Mr. Finley senior, and he wouldn't come up off the selling price. Right? And, and I guess Finleys weren't willing to pay what he was wanting, wanting them to pay. They negotiated for about two years. And Mr. Finley said his wife was very difficult to live with for those two years because she really wanted that hotel. Mr. Lowe passed away and his son called him and said, Hey, you still want the hotel? And they were able to work out a better a better price. But I thought it was funny that Mr. Finley said his wife was incredibly difficult to live with for those two years. <laughs> yeah, she was
0: probably whining the whole time. I sure would love to have that hotel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we when, have the hotel.
0: And when mama's not happy, nobody, nobody is. Happy.
1: <laughs> yeah, he said happy, happy wife, happy life. He said that's the only reason I gave it. So.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the Finleys.
1: Mr. Finley graduated from high school in 1958. And him and his wife got married in 1964. They've been married for 52 years. They have four children. They have a daughter and three sons. And their daughter actually works at the hotel with them. I don't know about their three sons, but I, she was she was there. She was in and out of the lobby as I was talking to Mr. Finley. He went to State, West Virginia State University, which is just across the river from me, an institute. Oh, weird, he worked at FMC Ordnance, the, uh, at the FMC ordinance plan here in south charleston and what's weird about that is that my grandfather worked at fmc from like 1952 to 1992 he worked there and oh, wow. i thought that was really odd that they were i don't think they worked in the same part of the plant my grandfather worked with the chemicals and mr finley they made um, light armor tanks and aluminum personnel carriers and he worked there from 1973 to 1979 when the ordinance had closed i believe he said he worked at the power plant so there's a the power plant across the river in ohio that you can see You can see like the cooling towers. I believe he retired in 1990 and then that's when they bought the hotel and they've operated it ever since. So him and his wife and his daughter.
0: So obviously one of the reasons why this is on our show is because it is reputed to be haunted. Is this something that they like to talk about or put out there or do they try to hide it?
1: No. Mr. Finley himself, I asked him and he shook his head no and he grinned real big and he told me that he wasn't, he wasn't going to tell. Like we have had guests that tell us experiences, but I don't want to be known for that. But mm-hmm. apparently, I should have spoken to his wife and his daughter <laughs> because when I was talking to Mr. Finley, my boyfriend and his friend came down and they said they were going to go walk out to an ATM and then I, I guess stop and stop at another store. And they spotted her, their daughter, when they were walking back towards the hotel, and she was outside smoking a cigarette and they i guess joe had mentioned what we were there what we were there for and she said that she would tell us some stories and apparently she had an experience but she didn't tell me the experience i, I looked it up online I okay found her experience online she I was, was gonna say I,
0: I think i've heard her experience go ahead and share
1: yeah she was up on the fourth floor in one of the storage areas sneaking a cigarette and mrs lowe her rocking chair was up there and apparently it started rocking back and forth while she was in there trying to smoke. uh, If I were her, I'd have put that thing out and I'd have ran right back (laughs) downstairs. That cigarette isn't worth it.
2: (laughs) Well, it could be why she smokes outside now, too.
1: (laughs) That's true. That's true. And apparently there is a ghost string quartet that you can hear on the fourth floor playing softly. Uh, The room we stayed in was room 316. And supposedly that's haunted by a riverboat captain named Jimmy O'Brien. And what's weird about that is I believe he did work, Homer Smith, people that built the hotel or helped build it or whatever. He owned a steamboat company and supposedly Jimmy O'Brien was one of his captains and he would stay in the hotel while waiting for his ship. To come back into port, and he could take over, I guess, for the other captain. And supposedly he haunts it, but we didn't have any experiences in our room. We didn't have anything. We never walked in to find a, a man in turn-of-the-century clothing standing there waiting on his steamboat. So, supposedly he haunts that room.
0: There is a record of him in 1915 working on a steamship there. I think there was a woman who had stayed there in 2005, and that's where some of those reports come from: is that she saw him staring out the window towards the river, and he was wearing his ship captain's outfit.
2: Yeah, and she demanded to know, what are you doing in here? I think enough was said that she
0: realized he wasn't
2: of this life because she ran.
0: Well, you know why she noticed that he wasn't of this life? He didn't have any legs. Oh, that's right. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would yeah, run, I too. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned said Hatfield, what had haunts the place. Yes. Well, I also... I've I've read two conflicting reports. I read that he used to stay there back when it was the Censor Hotel. but I've also read that there's no record of him staying there. And it's also odd that he haunts it, he supposedly haunts it after his death, because he was shot and killed in Maitwan. Matewan's in McDowell County and that's in the southern part of the state. It's closer to Kentucky and parts of Virginia. And Mason County is up towards Ohio. And they're almost on opposite ends of the of the state, which I find really really weird that that would be the place
0: he haunts. I totally agree because when you first had suggested the battle of Matewan to me and I was looking at it and you'd mentioned that one of the Hatfields was a part of it and I was looking at it and then I saw that he haunted the Low Hotel. I was like well these cities must be near each other and then I went well God they're not anywhere near each other. How in the world? And of course there's not necessarily any report that he definitely did not die there and I couldn't find any conclusive evidence that he did stay there the only thing that we really have to go on is that somebody saw him there told people that they'd saw him and the reason why they knew it was him is because they saw his picture on a postcard and said this is the ghost that i saw
1: and that's all we have. what it may have been was uh, back then a lot of men have the same kind of facial hair and Mm -hmm. same kind of hairstyle so maybe because it's like you all always say like a full-blown apparition is a rarity Mm -hmm. so who's to say that maybe she caught like the glimpse of him like the side of his profile or something and then she like the hairstyle was the same or the facial hair was the same or you know whatever the case may be and that's why she's saying that's who it is
2: well and that would be i mean even if you got a really good glimpse if i was at disney and i got a glimpse of somebody and then saw their picture, however much longer, or saw a picture of somebody who had the same hairstyle. Maybe there's just something a little different about the person I saw, you know, with, in the crowd or wherever. But if you showed me a picture of somebody who was similarly dressed in the same hairstyles, I would probably very easy be able to be like, oh, yeah, that must have been the person that looks like them.
0: Well, and I listen to enough true crime to know that eyewitness reports are the least reliable. So they don't like necessarily to go with eyewitnesses when they're trying to try a case because that's why you'll hear a lot of descriptions change and it's just not really reliable. And especially if you're spooked by something and it's going to be a flash. But since yeah. we're talking about Sid Hatfield and we mentioned the Battle of Matewan, we probably should tell people what that was.
1: Yeah, it was between... Uh, miners and coal company detectives, because I don't know if you know a whole lot about that, but back back when coal mining was becoming huge, the coal company pretty much owned the town. They would kind of like boom town, like I guess with the the gold rush and everything like that. The coal company would own an entire town. It would build houses, it would furnish houses, and it would give the people that worked for them the script and they could use it in place of money at at stores.
0: The behind-the-scenes kind of stuff, or the, the backstory story here, is Sid Hatfield was the sheriff or the police chief of Matewan, and he was a big-time supporter of the United Mine Workers of America as well as the mayor of Matewan. And the reason was, like you described, basically the coal companies owned the town, and these people were their servants. They could run them extra hours. They were in unsafe conditions. So there really was a need for a union to come in and make things better. The detectives that were the main ones that are a part of this were the Baldwin Feltz detectives. And I don't even know why they would call them detectives because what they would do is go in and throw people out of their homes, basically beat them up if they tried to become a part of the union. And they'd heard that there were several people in Matewan who were becoming members of the union. So Albert Feltz, which was one of the detectives and one of the people that it was named for, grabbed a group of guys. I think there was 12 of them, maybe even 13, Denise, counting him.
2: Oh, very cool.
0: And they went in to (laughs) mate one and decided that they were going to evict a bunch of these minors. And so they went in and I don't know how they got Sid Hatfield to cooperate, but I think he just wanted to keep the peace. So he went in and made sure that the evictions went really peacefully. And then the detectives decided that they wanted to have dinner that evening, went into town to have dinner. Well, you just threw a bunch of people out of their homes in this town. Not a good idea.
2: Well, threw the furniture into the streets and everything, right? Yeah. So
0: I I, I think the people were outraged and they probably went to the sheriff and said, this is not okay. They went to the mayor and and got everybody all in a tissy about it. They met up outside of the restaurant or an area there. And the problem is nobody really knows exactly what happened because it's one of those he said, she said who fired first. But apparently one of these sides fired first. The mayor was hit, mortally wounded. He did eventually die. And then everybody started shooting. I'm surprised they didn't all kill each other. Yeah. But on the detectives, the Baldwin-Feltz side, they lost the most. I think seven of them were killed and a couple others were injured. And then Miner's side, there were two of them killed and most of them got out unscathed. And Sid Hatfield, actually, I think he got out of this unscathed. And what he did is he ended up marrying the mayor's wife. So some people said Sid actually shot the mayor because he wanted his wife. But the wife said, no, he promised that he would take care of me. And that's why he married me. But Sid Hatfield, what I'd read is that about a year later, he and his deputy were eventually killed because of all this. And a lot of people probably haven't heard of the battle, of mate, Juan. But it started the whole fight that went on between the miners and the coal companies with the unions involved. Because after this, you're going to have a lot more shootouts. A lot more people are going to die. And it's just going to start to spread.
1: Well, and it, it was also mining back then was so dangerous. And they picked kids it was nothing for 14 15 year old boys because you know th- these were poor parts of west virginia and they took these kids and had them go in there and, and do this and and a lot of the times the shafts were unstable and there would be you know methane they used canaries as ways to test like there's methane gas or you know natural gas down there so it doesn't have a smell and the, the smell is added And if the canary would pass out and die, then that's how you knew you need to get out of there. And like you said, they worked long hours. They hardly paid them kind of thing. It was, it was real bad. It was, it was a really bad situation. So there was a lot of hurt feelings involved in all of this.
0: I don't know. Did we mention that Sid Hatfield, it's not just a coincidence that his name is Hatfield, that he actually is a descendant of the Hatfields versus the McCoys.
1: Yeah, his, his grandfather and devil ants were half-brothers okay. or something something like that. I think that's what I read. They were half-brothers. So, yeah, he, he is an actual Hatfield.
0: So, there's rumors that he's haunted the third floor. There's rumors that we've had the captain haunting the third floor. Did you hear about the third haunting that they have on the third floor?
1: There is a, a woman kneeling at a bed in one of the rooms in 309 she'll she'll kneel at the bed or she'll pull the bed covers off
0: well i think i've heard that there was some disembodied whistling that would be coming from that floor and it sounded like
1: a woman it was a maid supposedly it's a maid and she's walking down the hall i guess getting ready to start cleaning different rooms i've heard that it was a maid that whistles and she'll leave um cleaning products out that don't belong to that time, so, you know, that aren't a part of that time period or, you know, aren't current sure. and she'll leave her cleaning supplies laying around.
0: And again, those are those things that just make my brain go, whoa, how are they leaving something that's a physical product there? That's, it's like teleporting through time. I, don't I know, know that's, I know that's always like weird. I think what I would want to know is people who claim to see the cleaning products, is it just that you see them and they disappear or are you physically touching them and looking at them? Exactly.
1: I, I couldn't find anything that said, you know, well, I saw this and I picked it up. Yeah. So.
0: That would be interesting to know, because if it has physicality, then we're really talking about something strange. Yeah.
2: Something stranger than even the Mothman.
0: Yes. The mezzanine has a ghost on it as well. And I think yes. the mezzanine, that's between the first and the second floor.
1: Well, yeah, like you walk up the stairs to go to the second, like up on top of the second floor and the elevator is immediately to your left and then the doorway to the banquet hall. And then there's a little narrow walkway and it'll take you to the mezzanine and it sits over top of the main doors into the lobby. It's got like chair tables and chairs over there. It looks like somewhere you could eat breakfast and supposedly it's haunted by Juliet Smith. And he was it was his middle child an only daughter. And supposedly she, she can be seen wearing a nightgown and she has long hair. And if uh, she, she's dancing to music only she can hear. And supposedly if you leave a rose on the mezzanine, you'll get her to come out and dance.
0: Well, did you try leaving a rose?
1: No. I didn't. Joe was like, we're not doing that. We're not tempting the spirits.
0: Good man. <laughs> good man. No tempting the spirits.
1: Oh, well, Dennis. I had told him. I had told him about that. And I was like, and Denise, Denise So against tempting spirits. He's like, we're not doing any of that tempting spirit nonsense. (laughs) Like, you're exactly right. Because it doesn't scare me. I think there was, it was us three and then another couple. I think that was only, that stayed on the third floor at the hotel. And I scared her and she scared me. Because as I was walking down the hallway, I shut the door to our room and I was walking down the hallway and I hear her door open. And I turn around real quick. I was like, you scared me. And she's like, you scared me. Because <laughs> they, the reason they were staying is because they knew it was haunted as well. And she was talking about getting her tarot cards and her crystals and all this. Her and her, her husband were going to try to tempt the spirits later that night. I was like, no. I was like, my Aunt Denise says not to do that. And I got to get up <laughs> down the hallway.
0: <laughs> Love it, Aunt Denise. There you go.
1: <laughs> you don't tempt the spirits. That's bad news. Well,
0: you know what's weird about this, Juliet Smith, is I couldn't find anything about. Did she die in the hotel? There was a story that she had fallen in love with the boy and in typical fashion, her dad didn't approve. The boy ends up marrying some other girl. So I was waiting for the end, you know, like, so she kills herself or she dies of a broken heart and there was nothing. So I don't, I don't know why she's here.
1: Yeah, I couldn't find anything either. So... That makes me think maybe she's residual as well.
0: More than likely. It doesn't sound like anybody's ever had, you know, any kind of intelligent interaction with her, but it does make you wonder if they're leaving out a long stemmed rose, they're assuming that she might be intelligent and that would draw her out. So now there's another residual ghost. I think that was it on the second floor that they have the little girl's
1: ghost? Yes, she's seen riding a tricycle up and down the hallways. And you can sometimes hear her laugh. Or you can hear the tricycle wheels squeak.
0: Mm-mm. Nope, I could not handle that kind of noising. Nope. Little kids no. laughing and disembodied tricycles, no.
1: Uh, little kids laughing, absolutely not. It's creepy. Hearing that just out of nowhere when you know there's not a kid around you, that's a little creepy. You want my opinion?
2: And then brings back visions of a little person looking in a mirror saying, red rum, red rum. Yeah.
1: His so little it. finger bending, red rum, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the shining, no thanks. The little
0: girl that rides the tricycle, they say she's about two or three and they think that she was one of the lowest children. Yeah. And this one is definitely it. supposed to be residual because she doesn't interact at all with people.
1: She won't look at you. You try to distract her apparently and it doesn't work. She just keeps on riding her little trike. So, there. I
0: did find on one of the websites, because I like to read through comments sometimes when people post things to see if people might write a little short blip about, hey, I had this haunting experience at this place, because sometimes you find some gems there. And uh, I do have a link to the website. This was from, I think it was Teresa's Haunted History in the Tri-State area or something. But this woman had stayed there in 2015. And she said, I think they'd stayed there four times. But the, the best time was their most recent, which was in 2015. And she said, the best time was this last week when we returned with our six month old son and my mom. We stayed in room 220, the suite. We all stayed in the two bedrooms with my son's bed between us between two and four in the morning. I was awakened several times by the feeling of someone touching my knee, not under the covers as it was hot. Now, we all know that that's a big no-no, having any part of your body outside of your sheets.
1: You're yeah, going to get no, touched.
0: no, you don't do that. Uh-oh. <laughs> I would wake up, look around, see nothing as we kept a light on for the sun and check blankets. And the blankets were not on her, so it wasn't the blankets brushing or anything. This happened about three times. There's that magic three. I can best describe it as it felt like a small child tapping me trying to get my attention. When we all woke up at about 8 a.m. the next day, my mom reported that she kept feeling someone touching her as well in the bed across the room. So Uh. it's weird because on the second floor, there's the supposed little girl on the tricycle that's supposed to be residuals on the second floor. So it goes in hand in hand with a small child tapping, but it's not supposed to be intelligent. So I don't know. That's weird. Maybe they're wrong. How do people go back to sleep? I'm like, if something's touching me, I'm like, can I get a different room or I'll just sleep in the lobby? Thanks.
1: Well, I'm the same way because I make sure I packed like melatonin. I was like, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, I'm making sure Joe and Charlie wake up and they stay up with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a pack of melatonin in case I needed it to go back to sleep, but I didn't. I didn't. I woke up a few times during the night, but I don't know if it was just because I was in a somewhere. I was in a, you know a new place, but I didn't. I didn't get any uneasy feelings in our hotel room. I didn't want to be left alone in there, but I didn't feel uneasy when we were there.
0: So there was no weird experiences for you, but you kind of had that feeling that maybe something is watching me or just giving me a creepy feeling, which could just be I'm in an old hotel, which gives kind of a creepy feel anyway. Yeah. Another woman in 2009 was staying and she didn't say what room, but she was staying there during the Mothman Festival that year. Her name was Lori Kay. She said they had two strange experiences. On Friday night, a hat rack fell over in the middle of the night, which, I mean, that could be anything, really. Mm -hmm. And then on Saturday, the TV came on by itself. Wow. So that's a little different. And the TVs, I'd heard people complaining that they were kind of the old TVs. So, again, you could say either one of those is, well, maybe an
2: electrical thing or a weird blip. Right, and then you'd be hyped up if you're there for the Mothman Festival. You're hyped up looking for oddities and strangeness the low hotel sits in a town with an active and strange history did the mothman really exist or was he just a result of active imaginations was this just a large bird could the historic low hotel harbor some energy that is carrying over from the past do members of the low family still remain here in death do some previous guests still remain in the afterlife is the low hotel haunted that is for you to decide
0: Well, we'll have to send Katie back and see if she gets any hauntings again. Oh,
1: yeah, we're definitely going to go back and try to stay for a little bit longer than just a day because it's it's an absolutely beautiful hotel and it's like stepping back in a time.
0: Well, Katie, we want to thank you for suggesting this location to us. It's been a wonderful location to check out, especially with having the Mothman attached to us. Just a little cherry on that cake there. Absolutely. You're,
1: you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. I absolutely love your podcast. It's it has saved my sanity at work. So <laughs> people come up and like tap me on the shoulder. I've got backhanded people. It scares me. <laughs> what do you want? What could you possibly need? I'm listening to something spooky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on our next episode, we will be featuring a location that's been requested by three listeners. That's how three? popular it is. Wow. This is up in the Northwest, the Shanghai Tunnels. So even though they sound like they are in China, they're actually in Oregon. Oh, very cool. And we will also have another spectral edition on that episode. So looking forward to that. And we have a review to share with everybody. Five stars. H. Rickard. Scary fun. I just found this podcast and I'm on episode 14. I love the witty banter between Denise and Diane. I love the structure of the podcast with the odd moments in history. History of the Day, and then the Featured Story. The podcast is fun and entertaining and helps me through my day. Thanks, Denise and Diane, for the spooky and fun stories. Well, thanks so much, H. Rickard. We appreciate that. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. This has been Denise. And this has been Katie. You guys take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Kathy Webb and Monica Crosson. Thank you.
2: Hey, this is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the
1: theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump Podcast.